It's time for Bring Your Own Lunch, a podcast for your whole face, with your host, Dave T. Koenig. All right, come on in. How are you? Welcome. Have a seat. This is the Bring Your Own Lunch podcast at bringyourownlunch.com, the magic of iTunes, the majesty of Stitcher, and however you saw your way to download this podcast, I thank you. As you heard at the top, my name is Dave T. Koenig. I'm an actor, writer, director, producer, comedian, all-around swell dude, amateur smoke master, and, of course, the host of the program you're listening to right now, Bring Your Own Lunch, or B-Y-O-L, if you're going to use that uh, hashtag on Twitter. That's something we always appreciate. Glad you can join us. One of the beauties of hosting this show is getting to sit down with some of my friends in the entertainment business, uh, people who I've watched develop over the last several years, and my guest this week is no different, David Neil Levin. He and I have been friends for several years now. We met uh, doing classes and shows at the People's Improv Theater, and uh, David is a super unique guy. He's, he's a terrific guy and uh, uh, super, super nice. And as uh, you listen to the interview, you'll hear that he's just got this very unique quality to him. And uh, if you're an actor and you're getting started and you're, and you're sing- thinking to yourself, oh, I have to I have to look a certain way. David Neil Levin is a perfect example of embracing who you are accentuating the things you bring to the table and just being yourself and let that carry you and be your guide. In addition to performing improv at places like the Magnet Theater and the People's Improv Theater in New York City, he's established a pretty nice career uh, on television as a character actor. He's been seen in shows like a recent episode of The Nick directed by Steven Soderbergh on Cinemax. That's awesome. Uh, He's in an upcoming episode of The Leftovers. That was directed by Mimi Leader. Uh, He's done an episode of Nurse Jackie and uh, is a regular on Adult Swim as a character called Matt Beacon and in a film called The Golden Scallop, which has had a nice um, festival run. So David has uh, really established himself. And and when I first got to know him, he wasn't doing any of this stuff. Uh, And as I have made my way through the industry, so has he. And it's really cool to watch him grow as a performer, as an actor, and as somebody who is uh, really uh, becoming a veteran of the business. So much so that um, as, as as a tip of the cap to him, uh, he's not only uh, a performer, but he wrote a book called Where Do I Find Auditions? That's available on Amazon.com, and there's a link to it uh, on the uh, website that, 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 that we have. Uh, we have a website, uh, bringyourownlunch.com. Uh, you can find a uh, link to David's book there as well. And uh, so I, during the conversation, we find out how he got started and, and, and where he took his career and, and, and what shaped him into the actor he is today. And it's a really interesting conversation. One of the more recent times I ran into David, uh, we were both at a SAG after screening for the film Nebraska. Every year, SAG after, well, it, was, it used to be just the SAG Awards, but now it's the SAG after awards that um, the actual members of SAG vote on uh, their acting awards. And one of the films that was nominated for a bunch of awards was Nebraska, which is a brilliant film. If you haven't seen it, go see it. It's really good. Written uh, by Bob Nelson and directed by Alexander Payne, who is just awesome. Uh, if you saw Election, you know he's uh, he's the good stuff. And it stars uh, just a, a, a terrific cast of people like Bruce Dern, who's amazing, and Will Forte, who I don't even know he could be that good, and he was even better, uh, and June Squibb. 
pretty much steals the show. She was nominated for uh, uh, Best Supporting Actress this year in the Oscars because she's so good in it. So you should go see it. And when I went to see it, uh, I went by myself because uh, I am a SAG member. I, I went to the Directors Guild Theater in New York City and... Um, I got there just about on time, maybe a minute before they were starting. So I kind of had the dregs in terms of my choice of seat. And really, all I was able to do was get a seat up in uh, essentially the, the the balcony of the Directors Guild Theater. And when I went back there, there were some people who were just kind of talking. So, you know, the people shuffle around a lot when you're down, you know, up, up in the back of the theater, especially if it's a free showing. And uh, about 15 minutes of the film, I'm starting to hear this. <laughs> Some dude in the row behind me just outright fell asleep. And it wasn't like he was sleeping for a second. He was like in full on, I am staying here. I am not waking up. Sleep. Now, for me, if I have a chance to go see a film, especially as an actor, especially at a screening for actors, the last thing I'm thinking about is taking a snooze. But somehow this guy felt this was the right time to do it. Good for you, pal, but I'll tell you what, you ruined about 20 minutes of the movie while I figured out what to do, whether I should shove uh, uh, napkins into your mouth or if I should just go find another seat. And it's a kind of a touchy thing, you know, because this guy's disturbing everybody in the section, but I didn't want to be an extra disturbance by getting up and, and moving around and stuff. So after a while, I just got crazy. I, I'm one of those people who cannot listen to a sound that's happening over and over and over again and tolerate it for more than about 10 seconds. So 20 minutes of that was just, I was ready to just, so I made my strategic exit. Um, so I, I snuck out of the, 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 I was almost in the back row of the theater. So I snuck out of that row and kind of scoped out where I wanted to go. And I saw some empty seats in the main section, uh, down in the main floor of the director's guild theater. So I carefully and slowly and quietly walked around to get to those seats that I saw. And this seat happened to be uh, the next to last row in the main section. Really good seats. Um, and there was nobody apparently sitting in it. It's just a lone seat on the aisle. I was like, perfect. Don't need to disturb anybody. I'm going for it. Something in my head, though, said, you might want to check. So I... I uh, I leaned over the seat and I looked behind me to ask the person behind that seat if anybody was sitting there. And it wasn't just anybody. It was a guy named Devin Rattray. And Devin and I uh, have gotten to know each other over the years, but he's also in Nebraska. And he's brilliant in it. And uh, he, he, he and the guy who plays his brother kind of steal the show in their own right. Uh, I don't think he realized it was me asking. I just said, hey, is anybody sitting here? And he goes, um, you probably don't want to sit there. And I was like, why? He goes, cause that's where Bruce Dern is sitting. He just got up for a second. So here, uh, thank you, Devin Rattray, because you just saved me from a tremendously embarrassing moment in a theater filled with actors and my peers and also getting yelled at by Bruce Dern. Thankfully, the seat in front of him was nobody who was sitting there, and uh, I managed to watch the rest of the film and loved it and and sort of had my own brush of uh, Bruce Dern fame. Um, so if, if I can offer um, two words of advice, I make it three. One, if you're going to go to the movies, drink some caffeine beforehand because there's no reason you should be falling asleep, especially if you're an actor going to a show that's in front of your peers. Secondly, if you are going to sit in what you think is an available seat, you might want to check because it could be Bruce Dern's. Thirdly, uh, well, it turns out I only had two. 
Got to thank some people before we go on. Of course, Banuba, B-A-N-O-O-B-A dot net is their website. They're the guys who provide the music at the beginning, middle and end of this show. Uh, you can go there and find out where they will be and uh, download some of their music. They are good. We do have a new date for the next New York short film shootout. As of last week, we were still negotiating on the exact day because we've moved days of the week. But the next New York short film shootout will occur on Tuesday. That's uh, September 30th at 8 p.m. That is at the Treehouse Theater, which is the uh, new name for the former This Theater, which is itself the former name. Uh, the, the the name of the former People's Improv Theater when it was on the west side. Anyway, 129, uh, actually 154 West 29th Street in New York City. You can come see a great lineup of films. We are assembling the lineup as we speak. Uh, if you want more information about that, go to nysfso.org. No, what am I talking about? That's not even the website. nysfso.com. I would have no idea where org came from, but uh, but there it is. Oh, boy, it's that kind of week. Anyway, let's get into my conversation with David Neal Levin, actor and writer, and uh, somebody who you can uh, really learn a lot from if you're, uh, if you're an actor just getting started out. Enjoy. What did you get? I got vegetarian pizza. Vegetarian pizza. Which, by and large, most, most, uh, most pizza is... Can you eat like that? Is that okay? Sure, I can. I'll just be careful. All right, we'll we'll we'll. Oh, uh, this is me eating. Yeah, we'll stress this our ears better. to make sure that everybody can hear you. So it's a vegetarian pizza. What uh-huh. what what is on it though? It's not just like and that that doesn't look like any normal pizza mm-hmm. that I. There's bacon. Um, yeah, bacon. Yeah, vegetarian goodness. No, it's like this is this local. It's the garden. This um, kind of high endish grocery store in the neighborhood and they have a deli and a couple times a week they make vegetarian pizza which had not that i'm a vegetarian but it's pizza you want to make that very clear that you are not a vegetarian no i'm not eating this by choice (laughs) you're being forced to by the the man there's yeah i wish they put anyway so there's zucchini this looks like eggplant which i think is a nightshade Mm. and spinach and mushrooms there is mushrooms on yeah. And of course, pizza. But it's it's not it, it looks like a miniature Sicilian without yeah. a lot of crust. Yeah. I mean, is there even a crust to speak of? There is. It's like a whole wheat crust. Um sound like I'm selling it <laughs> to you. And yeah, but it's not that big. It's got a lot of it's got a lot of stuff on it. It's a very hearty I mean, it's huge. It's huge. Yeah, it's huge. There's no doubt it's about huge. it. And what was, what was that place called? The Garden. The Garden. The Garden in Greenpoint. The Garden in Greenpoint. So, and it's kind of a frou-frou uh, supermarket deli. Yeah, but it's so... I, I mean, where I was living before I moved here, the first time I went to the Garden, I, I almost cried because of how... <laughs> I was like, oh my god, look at all these good things I get to eat now. I was living in near places just had like meat, bread. Yeah. You were lucky if they had bimbo. I don't even know what that is. Isn't that a brand of bread? Uh, I hope so. Popular in bodegas. It's good to squeeze. Good bimbos. Bimbos are (laughs) bimbo breads are good to squeeze. We are sitting with David Levin, um who's a guy I've known for a long time. And we're in your apartment in Greenpoint, I should add. 
Yes. Where you'll hear a lot of ambient noise because they're doing they're doing something. Close they're by. always doing something. The construction does not end here because everyone's moving here. Yeah. So I used to say like the mean streets of Brooklyn, New York. Actually, there was the podcast I did, uh, the commercials free podcast, which one or two people may have listened to, um, and that's about it. Um, where we would say we were broadcasting from the mean streets of Brooklyn, New York. And now it's like, this is definitely not the mean streets of Brooklyn, no, New York anymore. It was meaner when I first moved here. Yeah. You said you've been here for 10 years. So what, yeah. what's, what's changed? Well, across the street used to be like a factory. I don't even know exactly what they did. I tried to ask one day and they were kind of surly. And the guy I talked to, he was wearing like a face mask. And he's like, I was like, oh, you think they'll sell this place? Like, no, nah, these people, no, nah, they'll never sell this place. And like a year later, <laughs> it's sold. For millions, right? <laughs> and now it's condos or whatever. Yeah, it's getting really nice. I mean, I don't know if I've ever been on this block, but, and I won't say which one for your purposes, but. Thank you. Because um, who knows who's going to show up at your front door, big David Levin wanting to devotees. Know, wanting some pizza. That's right. They've heard about the big slice of vegetarian pizza that David Levin had mm. and uh it's going fast kids. yeah um but um I forgot what I was saying we're, 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 we're I don't know mean it's streets becoming mean street be- becoming green streets yes they are, that's very good you should become the mayor of Greenpoint no I would oh yeah yeah why not oh corruption are you above with, corruption? No, I would have to deal with a lot of corruption oh and you wouldn't mafia, partake yeah or not the mafia per se but Organized crime, probably. Have you have Polish. you experienced of the Polish variety? I haven't experienced organized crime. I've experienced, like I was saying, when I first moved here, it was definitely rougher. Like even our block was like there were some like little thugs or whatever. And one night I was walking home, and I became kind of friendly with them. And then one night, so I kind of was kind of chatting, and this guy, this older guy, maybe in his fifties or just like lived a really hard life, came up to me. He was obviously friends with them. And it's like, hey, what? Hi, what's your name? It's like, oh, it's like, nice to meet you. And he punched me in the face. What? Yeah. And I was like, oh my. And then the kids were like stunned. They're like, too. They're like, oh my God. Uh, what? I was like, okay, I'm going to go now. Punch you dead in the face. Yes. And I was like, uh, it didn't really, I mean, it didn't really hurt. He didn't do any damage. Like there was no marks when I got home. What'd this guy look like? He looked like a guy maybe in his 40s or 50s. Or like just led like a hard life. I think he was like one of their uncles or something. And you and you did nothing to provoke that kind. No, of. he said he was introducing himself. I mean, he was drunk. He must have been drunk. It was like late at night, and you know, I'm fascinated by this because well, it's fun. Oh, there was another. And the kids were like, "Oh, sorry." I was like, "Should I call the police?" They're like, "Oh, we'll take care of it." Sorry. And the guy's like, and the guy actually is like, "Oh, I'm sorry." And he came and like, apologized. He's like, "Oh, let me. I'm sorry. Let me apologize." Like, no, that's okay. He's like, no, no. And he like hugged me or whatever. It's like, okay, and- have a great night. And is he, are you still are you still neighbors? I think some of the kids may still because they grew up. I've watched them grow up over ten years. Wow, that's true. So they some of them are still there, I think. But yeah, I haven't seen. I never saw that guy again. And then once I was coming home <laughs> late at night, and these kids, different kids, were like, "This was more recent. This was like six years ago." Um, we're trying to knock the mirror, the side mirror off a car that was parked right in front of our house. And it wasn't my car, but I felt sympathetic for this car because my car, when I had one, got its side mirror knocked off by vandalism. So I was like, uh, excuse me, is that your car? 
And when the, the smaller kid looks at me and he's like, what? And he was obviously drunk. He's like, what? Is this my car? Is this my car? And he like ran up to me and like gave me like a push, you know, with both hands. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and then he kind of like receded from because of physics. Yeah. And I was like, okay. He's I was like, we're about to hit each other. And then he like ran up and like we both kind of hit each other in the head. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't very hard or I mean, I wasn't hurt because I made a fire. <laughs> but his friend started to come up. You know, and, and he was like a big guy, like not necessarily like uh, the Hulk big, but he was just like massive, like yeah. he was probably mostly fat. That's but well, I was like, oh my God, I was like, great, I'm about to get hurt. But the bigger guy like grabbed the smaller guy and like pulled him away and like pulled him. Wow. And I was like, I was like, I started to call, I did call the police. I was like, yeah, I was just assaulted. I was kind of following them like a few blocks behind them. But then they went in someplace and it was dark. I couldn't really see exactly. I was like, all right, never mind. I hung up. And then the police called me back and they're like, what, is everything okay? Da, da, da. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's all right. And they're like, don't call again without... They're like, the police were like yelling at me. Yeah, yeah. Because I apparently reported crime wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's not how you report crime, you jerk. So you you handled a pretty rough situation in, in what was at the time a pretty rough part of town. It, like rough, uh, Rougher than it, was, than it is now, I'd say. You, you, I mean, you, there's still crime. Yeah, but it's 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 a probably more white collar these days from what it looks like. Mm, yes. White collar. <laughs> Wait, so 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 how does somebody knowing you for a long time, you're you're kind of a gentle soul. You you know, you don't seem the type to uh, you know, go beating up people on the streets. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. I mean, I I, I only I only know you so much. How how well can right. you know a person? That's true. David after dark. That's I'm right. a vigilante. I'm the Greenpoint Hornet. That actually sounds pretty cool. Isn't it? <laughs> that, that's actually a great idea. <laughs> that has a ring to it, man. Maybe that's what I'll do this weekend. And just go around in your, in your spandex. <laughs> oh, they're all green. And, yeah. And get accused of sexual assault, probably. Have you... Well, let's hope not. Well, I mean, dressed as a guy in a mask and whatever. And being accused of sexual assault. I think we've taken this in a very dark direction. But, um... She said, kiss me. Yeah. <laughs> Now, do you do you have other life experiences of getting into into fights or scuffles or things getting physical or? I'm sure, like in high school, a little bit. Anything out of the ordinary, or just like boys being boys? Um, oh, in the eighth grade, there was this kid. I was in the gym locker room, and I don't even remember exactly. I don't think he said anything directly to me, but he started saying something like. Oh, I just, I don't like Jews. I just don't like them. Oh, my God. It was like kind of matter of fact. And so somehow, I forgot how it escalated, but like I had to like get in a fight with him because I'm Jewish. And um, so we, what happened? It was just awkward because, of course, everyone else is into it. Like, oh, they're going to fight. And he was kind of a hickey guy. Mm -hmm. Like not a tall redneck, but a little bit. And so after school, we kind of, we fought and... It didn't go great for me. Like, he kind of won. Like, I wasn't really hurt, right. necessarily. But somehow, but, yeah, it was he, determined. Yeah, exactly. He got the three count on I you. guess so. Yeah. And then he, like, kind of rubbed it in the next day at lunch. He's like, oh, dude, kick your ass or something. And then, so I got mad at this. So I, like, psyched myself up. And because we were in shop class together the last period. Uh-oh. And so, like, that same day, or maybe the next the day later, I was like, oh, I'm going to... Right, so we kind of fought in shop class, and the shop teacher, of course, is off drinking or something. <laughs> and 
and the kids in the shop class, they didn't know about my previous, our previous encounter. So we were like dancing around, you know, whatever eighth graders do when they fight. And I like managed to like hit him in the mouth and like he got a little bloody, like it cut into the inside of his mouth or something. And all the guys in there like, oh, David won his first fight. Woo. Wow. I was like, yay. And then he had to like call it. Then the next day he came over to me and was like, all right, I kicked your ass and you kicked my ass. Let's just call it a draw. And there was, was like, like mutual respect after that? Uh, respect a, is a big word. It's a strong <laughs> word. No, but I think what happened was his dad had told him. He had braces maybe. Oh. But his, or maybe he had just gotten. His dad had told him not to fight because of messing up his mouth work. Oh, jeez. I think that's what. You know, some higher authority. Yeah, so he got, he got, yeah, he, he got it on both ends. Yeah. Oh, man. It said, stop fighting Israel and Egypt. <laughs> and thus peace broke out in the Middle yeah. East in the delicate Gaza Strip. Yeah. Um, where was that? Where, oh, where that did was, you grow up? That was in Atlanta, Georgia, in a suburb called Tucker. Tucks. So it was at Tucker High School, which is like a suburb northeast of Atlanta. Like, actually, like, right on the perimeter. Like, a lot of people are like, oh, I'm from Atlanta, but they're, like, an hour north of Atlanta because all this growth just keeps pushing north of Atlanta. Like, mm-hmm. and people commute, like, hours from – anyway. Yeah, I was there, I think – was it last year? Yeah, I was there last year. And I was just amazed at how right outside the city – I mean, you could see the center of the city from, like, the most suburban-looking mm-hmm. street you've ever seen. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. It's pretty, it's relatively flat. They had the Stone Mountain. Did you see the Stone Mountain? Probably, but Stone I didn't. Mountain, I didn't Georgia. realize it. I've heard of Stone Mountain for like forever. But, right. Um, Kenneth on Thirty Rock was from Stone Mountain. Oh, was he really? I forgot about that. I mean, not in real life. Oh, maybe he was in real life. Even he was from the south. Well, the character was at least right. But yeah. the character was. Wow. So, what was life like growing up in in? in I forgot what you said already. The the, the town. Um, Tucker. Tucker. Right. Well, I was only there from. Before that, I was in Nashville. Oh, wow. And then Tucker was nice. It was like a suburb and Well, where did wait, t- did you did you grow up anywhere else? I mean, where did you no, live anywhere else? No, it was just Nashville for 12 years. And then my mom got a job in Atlanta. Her job was transferred, which was with AT&T or Bell South or which I think what AT&T it? bought Bell South or something They all happened. consolidated or something. Yeah. They did something with the government's permission. So we were either moving to Atlanta or North Carolina. So we went to Atlanta. Wow. And uh, yeah, which was night, which was an improvement over Nashville as a kid because in Nashville, we had to drive like 45 minutes to get to Toys R Us oh. to hit at Hickory Hollow, Hickory Hollow Mall, I think it was. Hickory Hollow So going Mall. to Toys R Us was like a, happened maybe once a month and it was just like to look. Yeah. But then in the place to move to Atlanta, it was like two miles down the road. Was like, <coughs> the rest. I was like, oh, this is... Uh, That's a heaven. This is heaven. Even though you were 12, I guess yeah. you're still getting the benefits of yeah. that tail end of, of toydom. I just want to look at the things I can't afford. Yeah. Uh, but that's still... I mean, I remember going into going into Toys R Us was like going into like... It was the best. Nirvana. Yeah. There was something about it. And I don't even know what it was specifically because I go there now with my kids and it's kind of the same thing. But I, I guess obviously there's not as much there for me, um, but it, but but man, that was like the destination because there's just so much and it's way taller than you are. And mm-hmm. It's just you're getting stared in the face with all of this stuff. Yeah, and maybe it was because it was really well organized. Like if you went yeah. in there to get Star Wars stuff, there was like the wall of Star yeah. Wars figures. 
Like you had to crane your neck up to see the ones that were the top, just to make sure they didn't have any like, like secret ones that you couldn't see way on the bottom. Right. It was. Yeah. Did they have? Do they make dioramas or not dioramas, but like displays with the toys at your Toys R Us? I don't like- remember. I know they do with some stuff now, but I don't remember if they did back then. That's a good question because it's been a while. They did ours. Just like this is how you play. This is what you can do once you take this home. That's right. Right, kids? Oh, and all the commercials. I love the commercials that would uh, put, like, put them in exotic settings. You know, like oh, G.I. Oh, Joe's and stuff. Right. And like there would be this like terrain and stuff. and made you really feel like, hey, if I just buy these G.I. Joe's, I can go out and my backyard will be transformed into an exotic mm. jungle of war. With a fog machine. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And red lights. <laughs> I just didn't, yeah, where our lighting wasn't that good yeah. in the old backyard. It was more like uh, real war. Yeah. <laughs> that was exciting. When did, when did you leave Georgia? Mm, I wound up going to high school and college there. I went to Emory in mm-hmm. Atlanta. What did you go for? Uh, what did you go for? Uh, what did you go to Emory for? Just to go to college. And I didn't really have like a specific. You didn't I, know what you wanted to do no, yet? No, I yeah. thought maybe political science. Mm-hmm. Well, that was what I took there that interested me the most. Right. And given that you're going to be the mayor of Greenpoint, you know, it's kind of come full circle. Looks good on the resume. That's right. So, but I didn't do anything with that. I did some theater stuff there, but I wasn't like a theater major. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm sorry, I assume that's where this is heading. (laughs) You can can take it wherever you want, but I think it kind of shows somebody the progression of how you went from... Uh, Toys R Us, uh, you know, uh, uh, troll. Ch- troll to uh, acting professional. You know, it's like that's kind of a most people because part of what I want them to do with this is just kind of show that like there is no path that's the set path for right. anybody, um, and that for all of us there's there's our own unique way of getting to where we're going, no matter what profession you're in, but especially with acting because th- there's so many twists and turns and stuff like that, and some people start off. You know, they're five years old and they stay with it for the rest of their lives. And some people find it however they end up finding it, even if you don't go to school for it like you did go to Emory. But um, at what point did you discover like, hey, I want to do that? Um, well, I guess I did some in college, but it was more for fun. But it never seemed like a realistic life choice. Mm-hmm. Like because it was in the South and I don't know, maybe if I had grown up in New York, it would have seemed more. And it wasn't until... I went to grad school at IU, Indiana University in Bloomington, for new media stuff, like basically web and mm-hmm. what to do with it and some theories. And then afterwards, I knew there was also like a an entertainment, like that program sort of had a skew towards entertainment. So we got to shoot some things and make some videos. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, I think after this, I'm going to do, I want to do something in entertainment. So I was either going to move to LA or New York. Mm-hmm. I went to visit L.A. I was like, eh. And I always wanted to live in New York. But again, mm-hmm. it seemed like this impossible dream. It was like, oh, I want to live in New York someday. You know, saying it, but not really thinking it would ever happen. It's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know, I grew up on Long Island. So New York was, uh, you know, the the dream was, can I get a train ticket? Which wasn't very difficult. So right. I, I'm always fascinated by people who wanted to be in New York from a far away place, no matter how far you're talking about. I mean, two states away could be really, really far. So I don't have that experience of saying, man, I, I want to live there. Like the closest I have, I mean, uh, you know, LA is obviously in our industry, uh-huh. a destination point, but <clears throat> like the closest I have is like thinking of going to Tokyo 
Oh, and man. like, yeah, I would love to go to Tokyo. I'd love to visit there. I would love to, to experience the culture. I'd love to all that good stuff. Um, because I had New York already, you right. know, sort of in me. Um, so you had that dream of coming to New York and you went to IU mm. and it was, and I think that was the very first time I've ever said IU, like, <laughs> I, like as if I know that, like, so you went to Indiana yeah. and, um, how long after you were in Indiana, did you come to New York? Well, it was a two year program. So as that was winding down, I was like, how could I come? How do I even go? Like my, I had one, I had a few friends there. I was like, oh, I could stay with them while I try to impossibly find a place to live. But a friend of mine who lived in New Jersey in, um, gosh, it's Central West. It's right across the river from New Hope and Lambertville. Sure. She was going to Paris for like a month. Mm-hmm. So she's like, you could apartment cats it for me. Uh, wait, cool. does she have a cat? <laughs> Oops. <laughs> well, I, I hope she didn't before yeah. you moved in. <laughs> it was a while ago. Um, <laughs> Did you forget what the deal was? Yeah. So I oh, yeah, the, the cat. Bird. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. I think she was just basically letting me stay. Actually, I don't think she had a cat at that time. Well, she was, you were house-sitting at least. Yeah. yeah. So it was a house apartment sitting for her while she was gone. So I would use that as a base of sorts to go and look at apartments. So when like – but it was really – it was so – it was because it was like took two hours to get there, or an hour, yeah. and I have to look at one or two apartments, mm-hmm. and then find anything that way, and then finally I moved in with my friend and slept on his living room floor for like a night, and like the next day I got the Village Voice. It was, it was a Wednesday, and looked at ads, and went out to Astoria and met this guy in the, at the last stop. It's like 20 blocks from the last stop. Oh, my God. Which is far. But yeah. I didn't know. And I sort of felt it was far. But at the same time. You didn't know frame of reference. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, and he's like, the guy liked me. I didn't have a job. He's like, oh, you know, if you want to live here, Dave, uh, sure, you can live. And I was like, well, let me think about it. He's like, yeah, you do that, Dave. You think about it. <laughs> you you take your time. Because <laughs> he knew I was going to take it. After, and after a few hours, I was like, I'd be an idiot not to take yeah. this place. This is gold. Yeah. <laughs> I have no. I have to. So I got where, this. Where was the floor, by the way, that the you were floor? sleeping on? Oh, that was on the Upper East Side. Oh, okay. And then the next was it that same day? I came back and I was locked out of his apartment. Like I had his keys, oh, but for some reason I couldn't make them work in the lock. <laughs> and he was gone till like one a.m. till oh, super man. late. I was it, that sucked. <clears throat> like being trapped in the streets of New York. With no, not knowing. Yeah, you didn't know anything at that point. It sucked. Oh, man. And I was like, where were you? What were you doing? And he was like partying with some girl he knew off somewhere. What year was that? 2000, fall of 02. 02. So you you are a post 9-11 immigrant. Yep. I'm a... I'm a faker. You know, no, 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 no. That's not what I meant. But, but, but I am. coming here on the heels of that, was that ever on your mind? Mm, I guess so. I mean, I'd still heard about 9 11 uh, in Indiana. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess when I moved to New York, the thing that struck me was all the soldiers everywhere. Yeah. They yeah. had, a, and I was like, whoa. And yeah. it was gradually sort of tapered down. Right, right, right. But like people, soldiers with <clears throat> machine guns in the, in the Union even, Square. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, whoa. Yeah. We kind of, it's by the, at this point, you know, you kind of forget about it. But yeah, they were everywhere. Yeah. For a long time. 
Um, but you weren't intimidated, so you were. I mean, I guess I felt a little. Well, there's guys with machine guns. I mean, I guess. Well, maybe, I mean, okay, it's staring you in the face. So there's a guy with a machine gun, but I mean, you weren't intimidated by um, what had happened. Oh, um, a little. I mean, it was always in the back of my mind. Was it? Yeah. I mean, I guess everyone's mind. I don't, I don't know. Again, that's like a situation where I was here. So right, it wasn't right. like, you know, my, my, my now wife at the time lived in Chelsea and, you know, I was in the city all the time. So, um, the idea that, that, that you had a choice to be here or not just wasn't there. So, oh, right. you know, gotcha. so for, it's, it's, for me, that's interesting. You know, that, that, that the mentality that went into that for somebody who wasn't here at the time and then came here. Gotcha. Like I knew somebody who I'm trying, I can't remember who like moved here the week after it happened. Oh, wow. And that was the plan. And I think she, it was already in, you know, the, the wheels were in motion and she didn't really have a choice to, to stop. She just had to go through with it. But can you imagine moving here to New York? Oh, like nine, eighteen, oh one. I mean, that's, yeah, that's right. gotta be, like kind of kind of uh daunting yeah, yeah i can't imagine <clears throat> yeah so not to bring things down too much so 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 from from uh your your new uh landing spot in where where in queens astoria it was off but technically it was flushing at least that's what the post office said because it was the very last stop on the Yellow line. Or oh, okay. So W at the time it wasn't that far out, but it probably. Yeah. I mean, in in the grand scheme of things, it was like you it know was, it Siberia. Sucks. It kind of it was a little bit because it was nineteen blocks from the train. Yeah, but that's probably the biggest and thing. That was yeah. the worst part. And there was a bus, but I lived on a corner, and you couldn't. And to like look, by the time you turn the corner to see the bus, if it's it coming, gone. you have to run back to the bus stop. And right. Right. I mean, during rush hour, it wasn't so bad. Right. But it coming back late at night. Oh, forget oh, it. Oh, forget it. Yeah. Like, my friend uh, who lived on the Upper West Side, Yang. Mm-hmm. Yang I Miller, went, if, if yes, uh, Yang Miller. you're uninitiated. He's, a, <laughs> he was another improv guy mm. who uh, you, you've had a long history with. But go go on. Oh, um, but like if I went to visit him or he had a party, I would have to leave like around midnight to get home by dawn. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it just... Because it was like all these trains late at night. And yeah, I was like, I got to go. It's almost midnight. I got to, I want to get home before the sun comes out. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, anyway. So that, yeah. And, and, and back in, I guess, around 2002, people didn't move out to Queens as much yet. There was, oh, really? and there wasn't a lot of stuff set up out in Queens, like as far as like performance uh, spaces and, since then, so many people moved to Queens and to Brooklyn. It was still very um, affordable, I think, for a lot of people to live in Manhattan. You know, uh, either it was like uptown or you know even downtown. Um, so Astoria wasn't as packed as it as it is now with people who you might know as a performer. Um, I'd heard there were actors in that community because it was cheap, but mm-hmm. I didn't know any actors. Yeah, Astoria. Astoria was among the first uh, pockets. Where actors would would set up shop than I remember, because um, I had, for a while we lived in in Forest Hills slash Regal Park, mm. and it was like ghost town as really? far as like people who might be in the business. We might have been out in you know we might as well have been out in the North Fork of Long Island. Oh wow! At that rate, <clears throat> but since then so much has popped up in in Queens and Brooklyn that there's there's you know there's like this energy an artistic energy for performers that's that's in this area. Um, Okay, so who who were who were the first people you met in New York 
once you got here? Um, I met, I think my first friend was Yang. I was on this, working on this kid show called Gagsters. And what were you doing? And what were you I, doing? First I was an intern. And then after a couple months, they hired me to do, to be there for their second season to be the post-production coordinator, which meant basically I was wrangling interns seven days a week to capture and log the tapes they were oh sending in because they shot the second season. The first season was on New York and it was like these kids, these young kids with colorful outfits and they all had a deal. Like one was the tech person and, <laughs> and they'd prank people on the streets in New York. And then for the second season, they went to Miami to South beach. Cause why not? Right. That's where typical kids are. Yeah. And so Yang and I actually drove a van, a minivan full of props. Cause there were a lot of props involved from New York all the way down to South beach together Oh my and, gosh. Uh, it took a couple days. And then he stayed behind to shoot some. And then I flew back to New York to get the tapes that they were sending in and have, you know, sort of coordinate, mm -hmm. you know, all the footage and sort it and stuff. Where would the show air? Well, it did, it aired in on France 2 on um oh, it wasn't it was an American no, it came very close. Like the WB <coughs> almost bought it. Like they had made bumpers for it, mm -hmm. like you would see on WB Kids in the morning, uh, like as a mini commercial for it. Um, and they had like their own website as part of the WB thing. But the the president of Kids left, and the new president didn't like the show as much. So it never, oh my God, they never quite sold it in America. Yet it had two seasons. Or at least yeah. two seasons. Yeah. So they made two seasons. Was it English language or was it uh -huh. French? On France, for French, they dub, I think they kept the English. They didn't have voiceover, but they changed the titles. They made the titles in France for France. And is it, is it, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's really strange. I, I guess so. I, I mean, know. you'd think they don't have cameras in France if they want to make a show. About kids pranking kids on the street? I guess maybe. I don't know. It's, it's a. It's yeah, no, it was like a pro I mean, it was like a whole thing. Like they had song. It was really cute. Like there were these three pranks an episode, and each one was like a little mini music video because I did creative stuff with the editing, and you would use animation sometimes. And they had this guy writing songs. Like he wrote a specific song for each prank. Okay. <laughs> and some of them are really good. You're yeah. like, wow, this is a. I remember some to this day. Like, in my, that granted, says some I listen to them over and over again because of editing. Or whatever, <laughs> but, but this guy cranked out. So there was like, you know, it was like, it was a unique kind of thing. Yeah. It, it's just, it's an odd, odd, I mean, very specific thing to be doing producing a show in New York and South Beach right. in English. For French TV, well, that essentially. was just, yeah, that was like one of they sold it, to, they sold it to <coughs> France. Me. But I mean, the real money was in America. So mm -hmm. when that didn't happen, it was like, well, I got to shut down. Yeah, but they also sold it like to a station in Kenya, I believe. Oh my gosh! And uh, Family Channel in Canada, so like little places around the world. But these markets aren't America. Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. I mean, you'd think France would pay more, but I guess not. I, I, it's been a long time since I've sold something. To yeah, the right. <laughs> Um, Good point. Uh, and then from from there, where did you go? Well, I got fired from there. Do you want to tell that story? It's, it's boring. It's basically I lost some footage. <laughs> <laughs> you can't say a story is boring, and then in the starting uh, the, the summation giggle, and then not have me want to ask you what that meant. I there was these there was all these segments to the show. So when they would mail the tapes up north. 
we were looking for different segments and there was this one little thing that they had at the end of the episode that I did not look for. So it was like lost in these tapes and I had to go through and find them again. Oh, so it wasn't lost permanently. No, they weren't. Yeah, they weren't lost like in the garbage, but they had to like spend all this time going back to find them. And But I stayed friends with them mm-hmm. and they would have me come and participate in some of the pranks because some of the pranks the gagsters would need a helper oh, like okay. an adult like i played a security guard and a couple of them okay so i got to like improv for the first time Interesting. for an extended period of time it was a little nerve-wracking because you know people don't like to be pranked yeah, <laughs> sometimes it is kind of funny to to think about what could happen but they were kids i guess so yeah, but the kids were like pranking. The kids were fine. They were great. It was just yeah. like, but like the adults. Oh, they were pranking adults. Yes. Oh, yes. okay. Those kids pranking other kids. Right. Hey, hey, Joey, come here. I got <laughs> something for you. <laughs> What's your name? <laughs> Pop in the face. <laughs> Welcome to Greenpoint. <laughs> That's right. Oh, the crying. Half the episode was kids wailing. <laughs> Actually, maybe that's why it was so yeah. big in France. Ah, right. <laughs> the, the, oh, there's a Marcel Truffaut, uh, you know, special. Uh, the French word for despair. <laughs> they actually showed. Je suis très heureuse. Yeah, we. Oui? One of the kids was on Saturday Night Live, like as an extra in a sketch with Rachel Dratch, I believe. And the next week they had, and I guess they saw his reel or resume. Because the next week they did a skit called Pranksters with oh. Christopher Walken as like this grown up prankster who like it's like, oh, I mean they use all the silly language and like the sound effects and stuff. <laughs> so like they, they pro I mean, I guess it was in variety they said that they got it from guy that was like sort of satirizing the show. That's like, so you know, funny. Yeah. When I saw that, I was like, Wow, that's a lot like gagsters and I guess it was. That's hilarious. Yeah. Well, I got to get the content from something, you know. It's like right. inspiration right. can come from anywhere, so you never know. And Chris Walken was like pranking people with a crowbar. <laughs> like, look, look where I wait in this in the in the parking garage, and then look, I prank this guy. <laughs> <laughs> and the host is getting really scared. Oh, you got him there. <laughs> so you mentioned doing improv. Uh huh. You've done a lot of improv in New York. Yeah. When did that start? approximately spring of 03 I was like I want to take class at the UCB because I'd seen the show on Comedy Central and really liked it mm-hmm. I was like I want to take class with these guys so I took level one which mm-hmm. is where you start and not like it at all I was like ah because the teacher was kind of uh he was kind of a jerk but then I heard he was distracted later on I heard from other people it's like oh he's going through this tough time in his life and it's like, oh, okay, lucky me. And then some of the other kids in the class were like a little weird. Like the best improviser in the class who had done improv before. Mm-hmm. He was like this, just this passive aggressive, don't talk to me kind of guy. I'm like, okay, all right. That's so it, wasn't, it wasn't a great experience. It's like, well, I tried improv. Well, I was going to ask you who the teacher was, but I won't ask you that. But is there anybody in that class who you, you did get along with? That you? Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely. I got along with um, most of the people in the class. And are any of them still around? kind of like, no. No, well, one of them was a writer. He might still be writing somewhere, but we didn't really stay in touch. But that, but that's it's it's almost unheard of now. And if you don't know what UCB is, it's Upright Citizens Brigade. It's uh, a training ground for improvisers and <clears throat> kind of where a lot of uh, 
pretty famous comedians got their start. Yeah. And back then, that was the only game in town, right? For yeah. long form. Yeah. Um, yeah. For, um, well, after that, cl- after I took that class, I was like, well, I tried improv. <laughs> my friend uh, Yang, mm-hmm. when I met the Gaxers, he was like, oh, dude, come take class at the pit. I was like, mm, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's like, dude, got t- they got a show with this girl's uh, take their shirts off. This is a show called Foreplay. Was that, was that true? Yeah. Who was in that show? Dave Furfaro, Rocco Privatera, Babsy Singer, Tiana Fleischer, I believe. And, and they used to take their shirts off? Not all the time, but it was like a, a ribald type of wow. theme going on. And was that on. The, 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 some of the first shows of The Pit? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because this was like 2003, 2004. Wow. So I was like, all right, I'll try it. And I had to... Uh, <laughs> But I waited for his teacher he had that he liked so much, and it was Kurt Brownholer. Uh-huh. And so he was a great teacher, and it was like, you know, lots of energy, enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. So then I was like, oh, okay, I like improv now. And then the bug. And then the bug hit. And um, so I went through their training program. And Who else uh, did you learn from? Who, who else taught the other levels that you took? Well, they're all gone now because they all went off to get famous. Well, they're they're still living, you know. No, they're they're gone, Dave. <laughs> I'm not I'm not doing a commercial took, for the Pit program. I'm I saying, know. who did you learn from? I know. As um, I eat my peas, Kurt, um, Matt Donnelly. He was a good teacher. Uh, God, oh, Ptolemy Slocum, mm-hmm. who is on HBO's Looking now. Yep. Amongst other things. Yeah. And he's in a oh, bunch of commercials. Oh, yeah. A ton of commercials. And uh, Was Armando at the pit at the time? No. He had started by that point when I was there, the magnet. So I was like taking classes there too. Right. Sort of, uh, so that's a, that's a kind of whirlwind. They're not about whirlwind. I don't know if that's the right mm-hmm. word. But the, the kind of uh, glossing over of the history of those theaters it's like ucb came first right and then it was like i think ali farinaki and and, and armando broke off and formed the pit yeah and then armando mm. broke away and formed the, the magnet. magnet theater yeah. and those are the three that are still around today yeah <clears throat> so yeah those are the three i guess big ones in new york i mean the ucb is like an institution now yeah you know? yeah well, no i mean it's I, I think uh, it was a recent article. I forgot which uh, publication it was or online publication or whatever. I don't know if people actually read newspapers or, or, or magazines anymore. So it was an article I read online that put UCB among the top like 10 or 20 schools for, for theater. Yeah, I saw that. And that's pretty amazing if you think about it. I did it. see that. I was like, really? <clears throat> really? <laughs> well, I, I, I suppose from a business standpoint – it's a place where you're going to go and get the most exposure to the most people who are actively doing stuff. That's true. You know, I mean, in New York especially. I don't right. know about L.A. Well, I guess L.A. is getting to the point. L.A. is getting to the point where so many people from New York are out there that, you know, you're getting exposed there too. Um, and the quality of their training is, you know, probably comparable to what it was ever well, in New York. Well, there's nowhere else to learn that yeah. stuff, really. I mean, um, But at least in New York, I mean, you're going and – Going to shows and, and learning from people who are all over SNL and Comedy Central and stuff. Sure. So, from a direct line to uh, the business, that's probably oh, absolutely. As, as, as simple a path as any. But it was pretty amazing to see that. You know, that, oh, it that was. It's gotten that big. And there's waiting lists that are like two years long or what? I, I'm making that up. But uh, It's five years. 
Is it five? No. I'm joking. Ah, oh, see, there you go. No, but you're right. You, got, you have to for level one classes. You have to like pay close attention to like as soon as they're put up. Yeah. From what I've heard, in like it's like getting get Skinner ticker tickets yeah. in the '70s. You know, you have to, uh, to like yes. wait up all night and or Roxanne tickets in the '80s. Roxette. Okay. Roxanne was the police song. Roxette was the band, right? Right. You didn't get Roxanne tickets. Well, for the movie with for uh, the song. with uh, Steve Miller. To go see the song. <laughs> oh, I went to see, yes, the living embodiment of the song. I want to see the Roxanne people. Uh, she's got the look. Mm-hmm. That's right. No, that's. Billy Joel. She's got the look. No, that was Roxette. <laughs> We've come full circle. It's full. Yeah. Yeah. It's- so <clears throat> what, what, what was the experience of getting more and more involved into improv like for you? Like what, take me through some of like the progression of being involved as a student and then getting to starting to perform. And then, and where did it go for somebody who maybe didn't follow your specific career or hasn't been involved in improv? What, what, how, how could you explain what happened when you started your training versus where you are now? I see. Ah, a question. <laughs> I was taking the classes and liking it a lot. And then I started to notice oh, it was because of improv that I got into acting because and I wanted to become a better and better improviser. I noticed that improvisers with an acting background just looked better on stage. Like mm-hmm. they looked more grounded and they're very like more precise not that they were necessarily more hilarious but they just had a better stage presence i was like oh. there's something to that yeah for sure oh absolutely it's like oh i want to so it was sort of backwards i was like oh, i want to become a better improviser so i'm gonna take acting classes and so i shopped around and tried different places in new york and asked advice and finally found uh, michael howard studios i felt the most comfortable at mm-hmm. and did uh took a bunch of classes there so that was where I had most of my, I'd say, professional acting training. How, how long did you study there? Mm, I took like an <laughs> intro class and I took like their summer conservatory and then various other classes, like an on-camera class. I took that one twice because it was so uh, good and fun. Wow. And then like some scene studies. and so a pretty good amount. Yeah. <clears throat> what did you, what was, what were some of the things you learned there that, that had the most impact? Uh, how to spend money. <laughs> I think a lot of schools are, are really good at teaching that lesson. Um, just like trying to find that way to become that way into acting, like, you know, which methods works best for you and like trying different, like, Oh, what about, mm, you know, well, how about you just play closer to yourself and, you know, getting your emotion on. And so they so, didn't, they didn't push a particular no. method. It was just, I mean, they yeah. helped you find the one that worked for you. Yeah, I mean, they don't. They don't say today we're going to try Meisner. Right, 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 right. But they don't push <clears throat> Meisner on right. you and and make you work with that. Right. Which so, I think I think it's actually pretty smart because no, you know, this is not a business where you know it's it's not like a, a engineering a car where every piece has to be a specific size or else it won't work. It's it's like the complete opposite where you have to take all the pieces as is and make them work in the same environment that doesn't have a defined dimension. Man, that's probably the, 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 the most like, uh, what do you call it? Uh, metaphorical, metaphorical thing I've said in like months. <laughs> <laughs> it felt like it. Cause your arms got wider and that's wider. That's true. Yeah. Man, my expression, just like it, my, <laughs> my hands were representing 
the ever expanding mm. universe around us <laughs> that cannot be perceived by the human mind. Is that another metaphor? What were in these peas? <laughs> oh yeah, what you at? You oh, I ate. Uh, there was some <clears throat> corned beef and <clears throat> some ziti with some sauce on it and some peas, <clears throat> which was, was also that? from garden. Uh, it was very good. It was very good. Uh, I I've had a long history of eating. Uh, corned beef. As I, I'm, I actually, I'll ask you after I say this, but um, and that that corned beef held up. Now you say, <clears throat> you grew up in the South, uh-huh. uh, Jewish. Mm. Mm. Is there is there is there a um, it, it, obviously each um, area of the country and of the world has its own culture, and within that are several different cultures. That was is there is there a difference that you've noticed between what was Jewish culture in Georgia or in Nashville, and what's Jewish culture in New York? Um, well, in Nashville and in Georgia, uh, we had to wear these uh, stars. <laughs> <laughs> and these I, I tried so hard not to make it a leading question, you know? <laughs> and uh, no, I mean, well, growing up there, I mean, there's definitely like... Uh, how do you say? Oh, yes, a prejudice. But not like it wasn't a lot. Like I didn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't like we were hiding. In our, I mean, there's a Jewish communities there. Right, right, And right. what's interesting, what I learned living in New York is that how terrified of the South Northerners are. Or okay, some yeah, Northerners. Yeah. They're like, you have to do what in the South? Why would you ever want to go there? Right, Why would anyone right. ever want to live in the South? <laughs> we don't, we, yeah. It's really of, interesting. Us Northerners didn't ever really grow up with a, a real... Um, uh, safe feeling about the South, especially if you came from a, a background that wasn't the uh, uh, Bible-approved uh, uh, background, mm. let's say. Uh, and I came, I came from a family that was half Jewish, half Catholic. Oh. So I already had that in me anyway, and I was like, "Well, I better, I better accentuate the Catholic part if I ever go south." Um, but uh, so for for you, I mean, I, I know what being part of a Jewish family in New York was and, and, and the typical foods and all the, all the, uh, you know, it's more of a cultural thing than a, than a religious thing for me. Um, but I mean, did you grow up eating Jewish, uh, traditional food? Not so much. No, no, because my family, I was living with my mom and parents are divorced Mm -hmm. and she wasn't very Jewish. Well, she actually converted to Judaism. Okay. My dad, so she didn't really have a Jewish background. In fact, she's like goes. She's like, I'm not Jewish anymore. She goes to church. Oh, all churchy right. church. So so Christie church. Um, Chris Christie. Chris Christie's church. Mm-hmm. Yes, hard to get to. Yeah, uh, because he's, not, he's so big. Well, also he you know stops the bridge from oh, right. flowing. Uh, comedy, folks. That's mm-hmm. what we do. Uh, <clears throat> so in in the last bit of time we have uh let's talk about what you're doing now okay because uh yeah we talked about all this other stuff yes well let's like because i think what you're doing now is pretty exciting oh thanks um you've been you've been doing various projects on tv and you've done some films some little yeah give me give me your highlights the ones that you were most proud of well after um well improv basically is what like Got me into acting, so and then obviously I wanted to do like comedic stuff. So I started like, I got like a commercial agent mm. and um, you know booked some things. I did this fun project last year, this Audi commercial with Claire Danes. That yeah, well, that's, that's 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 like, I mean, that's one I wanted to talk to you about. Definitely, tell me what was that like working, and 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 tell us what the commercial was first of all. It was for Audi, and it was about 
she has to go to an award meeting. This is online too. You can Google the, it's a video still up by the way. Um, and she can either take an Audi herself or drive, be driven there by a driver. So she does the split, <coughs> the split reality thing, sliding mm-hmm. doors. And she comes with me and I turn, I'm the driver and I'm like a weirdo driver. Surprise. And I say these nutty things. Mm-hmm. And that's actually how improv, improv helped me book that job because there was like four pages of sides. Mm-hmm. And so I thought before I went in, I was like, well, I know they're going to want to see some improv probably. Right. So I just made up this opening line that wasn't even in the script mm-hmm. that I thought about beforehand. So technically, it's not really improv. It's right. I counted. And, and that line wind up making it in the commercial. Which one was that? It was when we were driving. I say, you know, they say if we were tiny, cats would be more likely to eat us than dogs. <laughs> and, and then there was a point at the audition at the callback where we actually were, were doing more straight improv. It's like, okay, try something else. And try something else. No. Something else. Now, who directed that? Uh, this guy, Jordan Voigt. Okay. He directed a movie, oh God, embarrassing, about summertime, 100 days of summer. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. Um, I, I know, 500 days of summer. Yes. Yeah, okay. I think so. With Jordan, uh, Gordon Joseph Levitt. Oh, no, he's not in. No. God, this is so embarrassing. That's okay. Sorry. Maybe we'll edit this part yeah. out. But maybe we won't. I'm, I'm putting him on the spot. Let's, you know, right. I, I don't mean to put you on the spot. Thank but, you. You know, I, I'll put myself on the spot because I auditioned for that same oh, really? commercial. Yes. I didn't get called back. Aww. And I did the same thing where I, you could try to like throw in some extra stuff just for. Sure. And I came up with, I, I, like, during that, you, you play. Uh, a tape of your own band for her, right? Yes. And I forget what it was called. Unnecessary surgery. Unnecessary surgery. And that was scripted. That yes. was in the that was in the, the sides I read. The yeah. script I read. But I think I called it something like oh man. I I, I called it something like my so called death or something. Or hmm. like my so called death metal. Uh, I, I forget what I called it. That was my big like that, that was that was my cute. that was my home run swing. And obviously it didn't work out. <laughs> Claire Danes was in a show called my so-called life. Yes, and that's that's where the comedy was supposed to come from. Just the opposite. Of that. Yeah, which could have been. I mean, that's a double-edged sword of doing that kind of stuff, as you know, because you go into the room and you're like, ah, I'm going to take a chance. I'm going to I'm going to say this big line, and uh, you know, like they're ahead of time. They've already decided if anybody makes this my so-called life jo- joke, we're not even going to bring them into the room. That's it. So I might have shot myself in the foot, and I might have, you know, you just never know. You never so know. So it's kind of funny. You really never. But everybody, know. I think, I think anybody worth their salt goes in. With some ideas, because I think like for something like ideas. that, yeah. And you shot that for how many days? That one. It was three days. Although I think mm-hmm. we were there for five. It's do or travel, and it was in North Carolina where they were shooting Homeland at the time. Oh, she okay. Lived, she lived there, right? Uh, now they shoot Homeland in South Africa. I think is that think right? The, yeah, the next season. I oh think wow, is being shot in not in North Carolina. Sorry, that's a bit of a commute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. And it was fun. It was great. She was really nice and personable. And she was like a normal person with a famous face. A really famous face. You got to love that. I, you know, I, I find this, the more I work with people who um, are, are so far ahead of me career-wise and have so much more stature than me, the higher up they go, <clears throat> it's, it's almost like the nicer they are, which is awesome. And, yeah. and I think I, I, and I'll name drop just because I think they deserve credit for being really nice. Like Steve Buscemi was amazing when I worked with him ah. and, and, uh, the, the cast of the Americans was great when I worked with them, everybody. And, and, uh, um, 
uh, uh, I'm doing the same thing you did. Uh, uh, well, I'm going to name drop now. Steven Soderbergh, very nice. Well, I was going to get to that. Yes. Him. All right. Well, okay. Fine. <laughs> let's let's get the 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 heat off me. You have a, a project that you did that's coming up, and that's like. Oh, the Nick thing? Isn't that? Yeah, was, we were talking about that before. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> I play a guy. I guess I should Which is directed say. by. Oh, it's directed by Steven Soderbergh. Yeah, That's okay. So, really, you, yeah. Yeah, we won't have to get to specifics in case you're right. not supposed to, but. Yeah. Uh, but you did work away. with Steven Soderbergh, which yeah, is. Yeah, a very little, super small role, but he was very nice and, like, introduced himself. He was like, oh. And at one point, I'm prone in the show for a while, or while we're shooting. He's like, God, oh, do you want some water? I can get you some water with a straw. I was like, no, but thank you. That's very cool. He was just very nice. He was like a very down-to-earth, like... And nice again, for guy. a guy who's just, you know... Super famous. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's he's one of the top directors in, in America. And, yeah. and, you know, it's not that you'd forgive him if he was a jerk, but... Right. Uh, you almost kind of go into it from the outside saying, man, I hope he's not a jerk. But then when they turn out to be really, really cool, yeah, it's like I, my respect for them grows so quickly. You know, I, I respect what he's done professionally, but when you're a good person, it's like, man, yeah. that is what I want to constantly be. I right. don't ever want to forget to be a good person whatever I end up doing, um, whether yeah. it's, uh, you know, walking down the street or, or, or I don't know. Digging a ditch. I don't know where I'm going with that. But you get the idea. <laughs> yes. You yeah. have power and you're not being a jerk about it. And so that, that's called The Nick, right? And that's yes. going to be coming out. I think in August. Point. In August on August. Cinemax? Yeah. I mean, like I said, super small role. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. It's a pivotal role. Pivotal. The show would collapse without it. <laughs> you're in it, man. I mean, without you in it, it doesn't happen. So you can't say small role. Thanks. You own Great. it, man. It's it was it's, it's great. I You're mean, right. You worked with a top director. Right. There's there's nothing you can say bad about that. That's no, awesome. It was an awesome experience. That's very cool. Yeah. And then you also did your you got that uh, the the leftovers. The leftovers you worked on that. Oh yeah, that should be that's coming out like late June. So you got I a good summer see. coming. You know, that's like that's a pretty packed summer of stuff coming out. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you. And then. Uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about before we go, because we got to wrap this up as, right. as much as I'd like to keep talking. Um, you wrote a book. Oh, yes. I wrote a book based on this workshop I teach mostly at the Magnet called Where Do I Find Auditions? Mm -hmm. And it's because when I started out and I decided I want to act, I had no idea where to, like I knew about like Actors Access and Craigslist. And that was about it. Mm -hmm. So basically the book is, and the workshop is like everything I know that I learned over like the years of discovering, oh, here's an interesting site. Oh, I didn't know about this. Or, oh, that's a great idea. Mm -hmm. Just crammed into this book. And it's like everything I wish I'd known when I'd started acting. So, Which is awesome. Yeah, you know. thank you. And like most of my stuff, if you look at my reel, um, most of the clips on there I got through without representation. Like some of the stuff, like Claire Danes had to have an agent to get that, but most of the stuff, you know, just found like you don't have to always have an agent. To yeah, especially starting out, yeah, you can you can you go get have. your own stuff. Yeah, uh, if you you know move your feet enough. Yes, and, and that's I think a lot of people don't realize that. And then, and to get advice from you, who's gone through it and you've kind of tested these theories, that's really. That's I mean that's that's a gift to give to everybody. That's pretty awesome. Uh, thank you. The gift is four ninety nine <laughs> on Amazon. <laughs> on Amazon. And uh, but but yeah, it's just like yeah. I wish I wish everyone would read it because it's everything. It's like stuff I've used. It's like worked for me. Mm -hmm. And or even if it hasn't, it's like stuff that you know. It's still good advice. Yes, it can be helpful. 
I don't think you did anything in there that is potentially damaging to someone's <laughs> career. <laughs> hmm. No. No. Uh, well, if someone wants to get in touch with you, or how do, how do, how do they get a hold of you? Where do you where do you, where are you found? Um. Well, I'm on. I have a website, davidneal11.com. That's N E A L, right? Correct. N E A L Neal. And I'm on Facebook and my email address. I don't know. If you want to make it public, you don't have to. Oh, you know if it's, what? If you've got a website with an email address on it. And yeah, if not, you have time true. to put one on there. Oh, if you have the website, basically, it's davidneal11 at gmail.com. Oh, there you go. If you wanted to. It's just like the website. Hey, as someone who has written a book about where do you find auditions, someone could be listening to this right now going, hey – let me find out about this Levin kid, and who knows? I, you know, it's I've had experience, even like actors with like uh, who were in the union uh, took the workshop. But the last one, and the woman actually at the top of the workshop, she's like, um, "Can we find out how many people are in the union here? Because I know some of this stuff already." It's like uh, she, she and one other person were in the union, so she sat there. But the end of the workshop. But, you know, you hear that, you're like, uh-oh, trouble. You're right, right. But at the end of the workshop, she came up to me and was like, you know what? I really enjoyed your workshop. Awesome. It's funny, and I learned some things I didn't know. So yeah. I just wanted to say, I was like, oh, thank you yeah. very much. And they're, they're, you know, and, and not to, not to uh, belabor the point, but, you know, you, even if you are in the union, it doesn't mean that you've gone through all of this. Right. All these steps. Like, <clears> people <throat> get into the union doing background work or right. uh, doing an after gig that sure. they they got through a connection that wasn't necessarily through an audition. So, I mean, you're you're providing a valuable service even if somebody has not uh somebody has already gotten a little bit of experience and you can always get experience and and knowledge from somebody, you know. You can I mean, the thing is is like you just have to keep working, keep hustling like even people who have quote unquote made it, you see like look around for like, oh, I'm going to make this project for me to do. Or like, oh, you were doing this thing? Like, they make their own work exactly. sometimes. You got to like, hustle, man. You got to keep hustling no matter no matter where you're at. I, don't, I hope I never get to a point in my life where I feel uh, I'm complacent. You know, I think that's probably the thing that I can, you know, and I have gotten complacent in my life where it's like, if you are complacent, the only person you can blame for any lack of success is you. You know, you, you can't. You can't and point the finger and the man and the man and and as long as we can get rid of the man and my own complacency I think yeah. I've I've pretty much got it all settled. <laughs> anyway, thanks for doing this. Sure, thanks David. It was you, fun. You're the man. You're the man. You're the man. Okay. All right. And that's David Neil Levin, actor, writer, surprisingly formerly southern. As a good conversation with him, and if you want to learn more about David, you can go to davidneal11.com. That's David, D-A-V-I-D, Neal, N-E-A-L, 11, L-E-V-I-N.com, and you can follow him at davidneal11. Same spelling applies there. Thanks, David. That was fun. That does it for another episode of Bring Your Own Lunch. Glad you can join us. Got to make sure we thank... Banuba, Banuba.net. Go find out where they will be and where they are going and uh, download some of their music. They're awesome. Don't forget to go to NYSFSO.com. That is the uh, uh, place you can find information about the next New York short film shootout that is occurring on Tuesday, September 30th at 8 p.m. at this, uh, formerly this theater, now Treehouse Theater or Treehouse NYC. Uh, join us. It's going to be a fun night, so uh, make your plans to be there. 
Of course, you can always get in touch with us and be part of the action online. Go to bringyourownlunch.com for all episodes, past, present, and presumably future of this podcast. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash bringyourownlunch, and follow us on Twitter at BYOL Podcast. Please subscribe, rate, review, pass along, share with your friends on iTunes. That helps us out a tremendous amount. And uh, we're probably going to be putting up some T-shirts soon, so stay tuned for that. It's a, the, the worst plug ever, but, but, but that's what I got today. Stay tuned for the Jimmy Jack Cow Punch Hour, followed by Mansoor and the Fish. Until next week, when I have another great guest, this is Dave. I'll see you next Tuesday. Tuesday.